It's so good to be here because this is my home church, so good to be here, good to not be on the road in the snow. Uh, that works out well. So, you guys well? Good, you look good. Smell good, I was smelling some of you as you walked in this morning. It's a thing. I, I've learned it from my dogs, just... Mmm, Old Spice, mmm. The 70s called, they want their deodorant back. That's wonderful, good to be here. Make sure you get Brian's book, because it's the 15th anniversary, you can get it for $15. See what they did there? And 15% off the swag. So that's a good use of the 15, so, yeah. I've read Brian's book, the whole thing. So, I'm very proud of that. Um, it's the third book I've read in my life. <laughs> Actually, I've read more than three. So here's, here's where we're at this, this weekend. It's overflow weekend, and um, I've been sharing some thoughts on the overflow and uh, let's see if this works or if I killed the battery. No, it's working. That's good. So part three, um, see the verse at the bottom. May the God of all hope fill you with joy. Well, that was part one, overflowing joy. And may fill you with peace as well. That was part two that we looked at last night, peace. And tonight, we're, or this morning, we're going to look at overflow in the context um, that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're going to look at. I mentioned Friday night I'm on Facebook, and Saturday I mentioned I'm on Instagram. Today I'll mention I'm on Twitter. I tweet at least once every two months, so I'd encourage you to follow me on Twitter or to <laughs> check out my website, markgriffin.ca, where, again, I update that almost every two or three years, so it's uh, pretty current. Brian mentioned a book that I've co-written with... Uh, uh, a gentleman from the East Coast who's currently living in Fort McMurray and survived the Fort McMurray fire. Actually, nobody died in the Fort McMurray fire. $8 billion of damage, literally. Largest disaster in Canadian history. But if you go to my website, uh, that incredible story uh, can be found on the homepage down at the bottom. But don't buy it unless you've bought City of God first because it's a more important read. My stuff's just casual, devotional, little bit of Jesus. This high J count, actually, in City of God, which is pretty exciting. Pretty exciting. And great story. Um, so anyways, that's it. Back to our text where we've been for the weekend. So this is the weekend text. We said, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. As I mentioned, we look at joy Friday night, peace Saturday night. And this morning, I want to look at overflowing hope in this context um, as you trust in him. As I mentioned last night, this phrase, God of hope, is the only time it's used uh, in the entire Bible. Um, hope is, I might say, a pretty significant scriptural theme uh, faith and hope are closely tied in together, and of course, faith is, is the essence of, of uh, how we journey with God. Uh, I just want to make a couple real quick comments on hope. Um, 
before we dive into this theme for the day, or for the morning, I should say, Proverbs 13, 12 tells us that hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. You ever had that where hope just, you're hoping for something, oh, and it doesn't come together, and you're hoping some more, and it doesn't come together, it doesn't come together, it doesn't come together. Hope put off or deferred, the Bible tells us, makes the heart. Anybody ever experienced that? Just that sick feeling of, of continued disappointment. It's very true. When hope is put off, it's sickening. Romans 5 tell us, hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And I find that interesting because twice in the book of Romans, Paul makes a correlation between hope and the power of the Holy Spirit, both in Romans 5.5 5 and here in Romans uh, 15.13. <clears throat> I love it in the New Living Translation. This hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Let me give you this quick uh, thought because the whole point of this morning is so that you may overflow with hope as we're tying into our overflow theme for the weekend and for this year. Hope is defined as the feeling that what is wanted can be had or that events will turn out for the best. Does that make sense to you? That's what hope is. It's that feeling that what is wanted can be had or that events will turn out for the best. Again, that's a very scriptural concept because our hope is in God. That's who we trust in. So the God of hope is a God that we hope in, a God that we trust, a God that we believe in with this sense, with this feeling that what we're desiring, God's going to work it out. Because we know that in all things, God works for the good of them that are called according to his purpose. So that's like a biblical concept, a God of hope. It's not just a name, it's who he is, it's how he rolls. And that events will turn out for the best. That is the perpetual optimism that surrounds our faith. Do you get that? It's a perpetual optimism that surrounds our faith. So this is where we're going this morning, looking at overflowing hope as we trust in him. If I can just recap just a touch from the last two days. Friday night, we looked at joy. That's a, a key part of this verse, that God will fill you with joy, with all joy. So we looked at this verse, rejoice. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. So I want to encourage you this morning, if you missed out on Friday uh, night, if you're happy and you know it, tell your face. And uh, just continually be rejoicing. Don't let the enemy steal your joy because the joy of the Lord is our strength. If he can steal your joy, he can suck the life out of you. He can steal your strength as well. So that was joy. Last night we looked at peace. We looked at Mark chapter 4 and a beautiful Rembrandt painting. And uh, just wanted to encourage you all in the Prince of Peace. That's who he is and he lives inside of us. This morning, we're going to focus on, for the next few minutes, uh, hope. And because it's the 15th anniversary, I'm going, to be tr I'm going to try to be done preaching in 15 minutes from now. I'm not filled with hope. <laughs> I'm thinking it'll go a little bit longer than that, but I'm, I'm going to shoot for it. 
I'm, I'm, it's, it's a goal, right? From time to time, we are disappointed. Let me just mention really quickly, there's four different sources of hope. I'm sure there's others, but the four primary ones that I see in Scripture, uh, the first one is personal hope. Uh, a lot of times we just put hope in ourselves, our own ideas, but Proverbs, pretty much everybody will know this verse, says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not, don't lean, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways submit to him and he'll make your paths straight. So rather than looking to myself to be the one that works everything out and figures everything out, I'd rather lean on the Lord for hope than my own personal strength. Another source of hope is people. You might trust in anyone, but the scripture says it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. The fear of man is a snare. Like trusting in people, trusting even in princes is a mistake. So rather than trusting in myself personally or rather than trusting in people, I want to trust in the Lord. Thirdly, we trust in different kinds of power. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses. We want to trust in the name of our Lord. Uh, again, we can, we can come to rely on different systems. Maybe we get government dependent. Maybe we get dependent on people or dependent on money or, or credit. I want to encourage you this morning to just, I mean, those things aren't necessarily sinful or evil, but put your hope, well, maybe the government is sinful, put your hope in the Lord. Put your trust in him. Don't, don't rely on strength of, or power of any system. Or uh, It's better to trust in, in the providential power of God. This is the best kind of hope. Romans 10, 11, as scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. So that's where I want to focus the next few minutes is just putting our hope, our, our hope in the providential power of God and put our trust and our hope in him. I thought I had a scripture there, but maybe I don't. Maybe, maybe I forgot. There it is, Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and though the mountains fall into the middle of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. That's where, that's where we're going to go this morning, is just putting our hope and our trust, and our faith in God. This is the verse I want to really focus on this morning, just one verse, and that's why I'm optimistic that I can be done in uh, 15 minutes from now. And I'll continue saying that for the next half hour or so. It's a great, it's a great verse, and, and this is really serious. I'm just going to break this down quickly so I don't think it'll take too long. The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you, make you strong, firm, and steadfast. I, I just, I felt this verse would convey the hope that God wants to bring to us this morning. Even if you're struggling, even if you're going through a season of difficulty right now, I just want to declare over you, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you've suffered for a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. I consider this to be one of the most hopeful verses in Scripture, and, and that's why I want to just break this down. Here's how I'm going to break it down 
for you. Very simple outline this morning. I want to talk about the conjunction and the context. I want to talk about the caption. I want to talk about the call. I want to talk about the caveat. And I want to talk to you about the comprehensive cure. These five things are found in this simple verse that we're going to look at. First, we'll talk about the conjunction and the context. Context. The verse starts with the word and, which takes us back to the context of the passage because he says and, not just arbitrarily, but he's tying this in as a closing thought. So that conjunction, that word and, is our starting point. We'll just recap quickly, the, if, I, if you'll indulge me for a minute, to uh, read the first nine verses of this chapter. To the elders among you, he's speaking to elders, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, watching over them, not because you have to, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And then when the chief shepherd, that is Jesus, appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that'll never fade away. And in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes, opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time and cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert. We need more alerts. And be of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers through the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will, make, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. So that and that started off the uh, this verse uh, is tying into the context of the previous verses. Let me just summarize those really quickly. First of all, uh, there's a message here to the elders to be shepherds uh, because you're willing, you're eager to serve, and, and you love to be examples. And then he goes on to describe a word to the followers, the younger ones, to submit yourselves, to be clothed, not just the older, but the younger as well, all of them to be clothed with humility, to humble themselves and to cast all their anxiety on him. And then thirdly, there's this universal call, this alert to the body of Christ, to be alert because believers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. I want you to get this in your heart this morning. Suffering's going on all around the planet. You know, some people are really struggling just for their next meal. We usually get two or three or four or five meals a day here in Canada. I like to have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But I like to throw in sometimes a pre-dinner dinner and sometimes a post-dinner um, and sometimes an evening snack. And, and that's just the abundance that we live in. Other places in the world, they'll literally have two or three meals a week. Seriously, there's parts of the world where we, you got you to think, wow, if I have a bad day, 
really busy day. I'll, I'll only eat once or twice. But there's all kinds of places in the world that are eating once or twice a week. Like, come on, that's serious. There's other places in the world where people just don't have money. They trade, they barter, because they don't, they just, there are people that will go their entire life without actually ever having their hand on any coins or currency. Can you imagine that? It's a totally different way of living. They trade for stuff, trade for food. It's, I can't imagine how luxurious my life is. But, but here in Western culture, here in North America and Western Europe, it's just a small portion of the world's population, and yet, and yet, we have close to um, close to eighty percent of the world's wealth. Less than twenty percent of the population, eighty percent of the world's wealth. We're truly blessed. The kind of suffering we go through, the kind of difficulty we go through, it, it might pale in comparison to the rest of the world, but universally there is suffering. Sometimes it's relational suffering, even though we have money, even though we have food and, and clothes, some of us have lots of clothes. There's, there's some people in this room, as many times as I've seen you, you've never worn the same thing. That's incredible. That's like, do you have disposable wardrobes? <laughs> Are your closets so full at home, like you have like, 70 years of clothes, and, and it, it fills like four rooms of your home like that. It's amazing that people have that many clothes. It's, that's, that's how blessed we are. But universally, there's suffering. Look at this verse from John 16, 33. In this world, you will have trouble, Jesus said. But take heart. That wasn't really a question. I don't know how that question mark got in there. <laughs> Some they just arbitrarily and randomly show up. They'll just pop up on my screen just every now and then from time to time. But take heart? Yeah. Yeah, it looks, it would be a better comma or, or even an exclamation point. Yeah. But take heart, comma, question mark. I've overcome the world. It's interesting that Jesus would actually prophesy, he would actually declare this. Again, he's very, very positive. But I, but I appreciate the transparency, the honesty of our Lord here saying, you know what, in the world you're going to have trouble. It's, it's true. But there's always this positive spin on the negative sides of the gospel. But take heart, I have overcome the world. <laughs> like he doesn't even believe it's going to happen. He's like, take heart? Really? He's so confident that he's overcome the world that he questions even a need to take heart. See, I can make almost anything inspired, even a question mark. <laughs> Secondly, I want you to see from the text, there's this little caption and the God of all grace. So first there's the context and, and uh, the conjunction and, but then the next phrase, and the God of all grace. Interesting thing to call God, the God of all grace. That word grace... Uh, comes from the Greek word kairos, which is where we get the Greek word charisma, which is the word for gift. Um, kairos, uh, grace, like a gift, is just an extension of grace, something you maybe don't deserve. Maybe you've heard that definition of grace, the unmerited favor. 
So grace is just an extension. When you extend kairos, kairos ma, it becomes a gift. You see how the words kind of correlate together. This is a name for God here. Not just the God of hope, but the God of not just grace, not just a gift, but this beautiful extension of his gift, the God of all grace. Like every good and perfect gift, James said, comes down from the Father of heavenly lights who, who never changes. Like he's always giving, he's always loving, he's always kind and tolerant and patient, the scripture says in Romans chapter 2. It's a neat little kind of tag in this verse because it's not a really common name for God, a little more common than the God of hope. But Paul or, or Peter inserts this here, the God of all grace. The God of all grace. I want you to see that's the context again. This little label, this little caption in the middle of the verse describing where it comes from. And then thirdly, the God of all grace who called you. Hmm. This is the one that kind of sets us up for the next phrase. He's called you to his eternal glory in Christ. It's a calling, the Greek word again, literally kaleo. He, he shouted it out. That's, that's the word for calling. I want you to know every single person in this room is called. Yeah, there may be universal suffering, universal problems, but there's also a universal calling. And let me just be very clear. The calling on every person in this life, if you want to get into the eternal glory of Jesus Christ, the calling on every person in this room is to be on the potter's wheel. See, I think a lot of times we get very, I don't know, we kind of get stars in our eyes when it comes to, well, yeah, I'm called of God. You know, I got a, I got a calling on my life. And we like to see things in terms of greatness and excellence. And, and I'm all about dreaming big. That's, that's, I'm not against that. That's, that's also very much a part of our faith. But if you don't get this initial calling right, you'll never overflow in joy or peace. Like if you come into the kingdom thinking, yeah, I'm teaming up with Jesus. Now I'm going to be doubly awesome. Yeah, yeah, we're all going to get there. Again, I'm not against that. I'm not saying that's not true. But it will become true if you don't get this part down first. Jumping up on the potter's wheel. Becoming malleable. Becoming teachable. Here's a word we're not really big fans of, but becoming broken. I don't know what you think of when you think of brokenness. I, I tend to think of that old bike leaning up by the shed that's been there summer, winter, summer, winter, summer, winter for the last 20 years. The bike that hasn't been used because the, the wheels look more like a taco shape than they do a wheel shape. You know, they're just nice bent, broken spokes, broken chain, broken everything. That's what I think of when I think of brokenness. It's just not working anymore. That lump of mud that goes up on the potter's wheel, it's, it's broken. Until you're fashioned by the hands of the master potter, you're just 
That's all we are, lumps of clay. And that's our call. That, that's what he's destined for. So that's, listen to me, that's the starting point. And yeah, maybe he wants to make you into some beautiful vessel, some lovely vase that'll hold flowers. I, I don't know what the calling is ultimately on your life, but listen to me. If you come into the kingdom dictating to God, okay, here's my gifts, here's what it's gonna look like, you're missing the whole point because he's God and we're not. I'm forever conscious of my brokenness. I remind myself regularly, not necessarily every day, but quite often I'll remind myself of my potential in Christ Jesus, but daily I'm reminded of my call to brokenness. It's a great position to start. I'll tell you, it's a lot easier to overflow when you've started in brokenness than to come in on this high and, hey, I'm great and I got a lot to offer the kingdom. Oh, wow, a lot of disappointment. In this world, you will have troubles. But you will overcome? <laughs> and I'll tell you, sometimes when you're in the valley, it is a big question if you will overcome or not. But if you come in with a, just this brokenness, with this humility, and I noticed... Uh, Wanda hitting on this even this morning in the worship time. What a beautiful place to start. Again, this is one of the paradoxes of the kingdom. To, to reach greatness, you have to come in in humility. If you want to be the greatest, you have to be the least. If you want to be first, you have to be last. Again, a kingdom paradox, which was our uh, one of our teachings. I think it was uh, our third anniversary services. Remember that teaching? I don't. But that's the call. Um, who calls you to his eternal glory in Christ. And then there's this little caveat. After you've suffered a little while. Like, really? Why, Lord, why do you have to put that in? This is such a good verse. But then this phrase, after you've suffered a little while. Like, do I have to go through pain? Do I have to go through brokenness? <laughs> After you've suffered a little while. And again, there's this universal alert earlier in the chapter, alerting us to pain and suffering and whatever, angst, whatever difficulty you're going through. And as I mentioned, that can take all kinds of different forms. But this is actually a beautiful promise. I love that it says, after you've suffered, but then this other phrase right after, a little while. Suffering is not a lifetime calling. It's, again, it's a seasonal thing. God doesn't want you to be stuck in your suffering. He wants you to grow exponentially fast because of the suffering. Again, what the enemy means for evil, God means for good. I know I've come back to this many times, but those God foreknew, he also predestined. You don't have to get worried about doctrines of predestination because that word predestined means that picture on the left there, to have a map beforehand. That's what predestination means. And, and the predestination is be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. So the predestination, the map, is to be on the potter's wheel. But just for a while. 
and then to be overflowing with his joy, to be overflowing with his peace, and specifically as the script, script, as the text said this morning, to be overflowing with hope. And again, I'll be done in 15 minutes. Here's the comprehensive cure. This is the last thing I want you to see in this text. The God of all grace, who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, here's the promise, will himself restore you. This is really good news. This, this is why I'm filled with hope this morning, is the promise to restore. This thing just lingers over my life. Anytime I'm going through a dark time, I, I just declare over myself, the one who trusts in the Lord will never be put to shame from the Psalms. Again, this was referred to in the New Testament as well, quoting the Old Testament. The one who hopes, the one who trusts in the Lord will never be put to shame. Look at those red letters there. Will himself restore you. This isn't a restorative process just through the church, or friends that are helping you. This is a promise from God himself that he is the one who will do the restoring. And then this final phrase, and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. If I can just change the firm there, because come on, we're going great with a strong, we're going great with a steadfast, but then there's a four-letter F word in the middle to kind of mix up the flow. So I'm going to change that to strong, stable, and steadfast. If you'll Give me the permission to take my license with the scripture. Stable is actually a very excellent translation of that same word. 2,000 years ago when this scripture was written, of course, they didn't have English. Uh, the most popular language of the day was the Greek language. So we have our earliest manuscripts of this verse in the Greek. So I'm just going to refer to the Greek language. So if you're looking at this and saying it's all Greek to me, understandably. The promise is God's going to restore you and make you those three things, strong, stable, and steadfast. Those look kind of like the same word. They're just affirming, uh, strengthening kind of words, but they're actually ridiculously different in the original language. The first word is sterizo uh, for strong. That's referring to, yes, it's definitely referring to strength, and that's why the uh, those that interpret the scripture picked up on that word strength, but it's a different kind of strength. It's actually a determination. It's actually uh, this tenacious bearing down. It's really a strength of the mind. It's this, this inner resiliency of mind over matter, mind over circumstance. It's, yeah, I'll be bent maybe, but I'm not going to be broken. I'm, I'm strong in my mind. I'm strong in in my convictions. That's kind of what this first word is talking about. Um, it's a stubbornness. A stubbornness of the mind. Like God said it, I believe it. I don't care what the circumstances are throwing in me, throwing at me. I have this resilient belief in my head that God's going to do it. And again, the scripture said, and, and, and so we got to understand, whatever circumstances are, are coming your way, it's going to make you strong in one of these three ways that we're about to unpack. One is strength of the mind. The second one is stability. Um, that Greek word is sthenao. That's a stability or a strength of the soul. 
What we're talking about there is emotional strength or emotional intelligence. And when you're facing negative circumstances, you need to understand that God might be strengthening you in the mind. He might be giving you a wonderful opportunity to be stronger uh, in your soul. Let me just unpack this briefly. You've heard the old saying, sticks and stones may break your bones, but names will never hurt you, which is a lie, of course. They hurt like heck. They sting when people say negative things about you. But this is what I want you to see, is that's just on the surface. Those words are just the surface thing. But in behind those words, of course, there's all kinds of meaning, there's all kinds of thoughts, feelings, values, beliefs, even worldviews, that as people speak out of the abundance of their heart, out of the overflow of the heart, their mouth speaks, it reveals not just your insecurities or your fears when they tell you that you're whatever, too tall, too short, too fat, too thin, too handsome. I get that a lot. It's hard for me. But as people shoot these words out at you, listen, they don't have to destroy you. Because as, as emotional maturity comes, you start to understand not just the meaning of what they're saying, but you start to understand what's behind their words, their meaning, thinking, feelings, values, beliefs, their worldview. And you can understand, wow, they're just saying that because hurting people hurt other people. And rather than shutting down and getting down on yourself, you can, again, God has promised he's going to give us this kind of strength of soul that the things people are saying aren't going to destroy us. They're not going to knock us down. People can say negative things and we just kind of go, hmm, wow, that negativity coming out of your heart really shows me how I can pray for you. So rather than getting engaged, rather than getting wrapped up in the, the words or the feelings or whatever's floating around the atmosphere, we can step above that, we can rise above that and bring them into a place of life. So imagine that, they're spitting out, they're spewing out toxicity, trying to suck the life out of you, but that becomes quickly a prayer point for you to transform the situation and to speak life into them. See, that, that's what happens in the lifestyle of overflow. He's made me strong of mind, strong of soul or heart, that when I step into a toxic environment, I don't see those things and take them personally. I don't have to hear those words and second-guess myself and become all insecure. I don't have to interpret negative circumstances as, oh, God's out to get me, he hates me, he doesn't like me anymore. But rather, those things become prayer points, opportunity to overflow with the goodness of God because he's promised me strength of soul, strength of mind, that those things aren't going to suck the life out of me. Come on, that's good news. I'm going to be overflowing to change my world. And then lastly, he's going to make me strong, stable, and steadfast. That one's themaliao. Literally, he's going to make me unshakable. He's going to make me like a rock. He's going to fortify me. I'm going to be grounded, founded, and established are the implications of that word. He's going to make me like a castle. Like, it doesn't matter what's thrown at me. Because the Lord is at my right hand, I will never be shaken. Like my mind is made so strong, my soul is made so strong that I am planted and I'm established 
and I'm going to be a risk taker now. That's the implication of being steadfast. I'm willing to take a risk. Not that I got to psych myself up to something, but that becomes a part of my inner man, this character of being steadfast that, yeah, I can do noble things. The people who know their God will do exploits. That is a lifestyle of overflow. When I see people trying to fake it until they make it, I think, no, you're missing out on the character part. Yeah, I'm volunteering, I'm serving, that's good that you're helping, but if he hasn't made you strong of mind and strong of soul, it's a recipe for disaster to come into the church context and start serving when Really, we end up just causing all kinds of turmoil and problems. Our insecurities start to manifest all over the place. But when we're really developed in the fullness of character, when we're filled with joy, when we're filled with peace, when we have soundness of mind and soul, then we're grounded. That's when we really connect with the house. That's when we really connect with meaningful relationships that don't fall apart because of insecurity. This is huge. Because, listen, there are people that come to church for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and they're still in their first year of Christianity living it the 40th or 50th time over. Still insecure, still wounded, still going through the same hopes, still complaining like a little baby that just starts to, hoping for a bottle to be stuck in its mouth and its diaper to be changed. Paul calls us out of the immaturity. Peter perpetually calls us out of the immaturity. James and the author of the Hebrews specifically call us out of immaturity to a place, listen, where we're reproducing our faith. I promise now I will be done in less than 15 minutes. Again, it's not about me getting my needs met. If I'm mature of mind, soul, if I'm grounded, founded, and established because God promised he would, and here's the key, and I'm letting him. That's what moves me out of first-year Christianity. Out of the diaper changing and the bottle feeding and gets me into mature vegetables, fruits, meats, things that are actually going to build my muscles and bones. But listen, if you ignore that middle phrase, after you've suffered a little while, every time suffering comes your way, James said, smile. If you're happy and you know it, tell your face. Count it all joy. Whenever you're tried or tested or going through problems, knowing that the trying of your faith develops patience and perseverance so you can be Ready for it? Mature and complete, not lacking anything. He's calling us again into that place of of mature mind, mature soul, to be grounded, founded, and established, walking in an unshakable confidence because we're not worried about what people are thinking of us. Our territory is not threatened because I'm broken. I've been on the potter's wheel. It's his territory anyways. I'm not taking my ball and going home. You laugh, but listen, there are those of you who will take your ball and want to just abandon this fellowship or or your home group or, or you'll just be offended over trivial things, over things that don't matter. I'm telling you, offenses must come. 
These aren't my words of prophecy. These are the words of Jesus Christ himself. He said, offenses must come. Why? Because he wants us to be mature. I know a lot of times the offense comes through the enemy. I don't know how that all works, that the enemy is somehow used, but, but whatever the enemy means for evil, God means for good. What the enemy wants to offend you out of your home group or offend you out of the worship team or, or offended you out of ushering or offend you out of whatever gathering you're in or this, this broader body. God wants to offend you. Listen, it's an opportunity to grow in mind, soul, to be grounded, founded, established, to be unshakable. Here's my question for you. Are you gonna let the shaking take you out? Because listen, I'm gonna say this. It is coming. It's already come. It's come, I remember, in our first couple years here at Freedom House. There were situations I thought, oh, Jesus, how are we going to get through these things? Very serious situations and very serious immorality and problems. And, but look, unshakable. The Freedom House continues to move forward in spite of those difficulties in the early years. In spite of a lack of finance at time, God, God came through, God, God provided, and he's made us even more grounded, even more certain of his ability to come through. So very practically as we close, how does that happen? How does God build hope and trust? How does it happen? First way is the truth. You'll know the truth, John 8, 32 says, and the truth will set you free. I don't know how to say this really gently, so I'm just going to say it. A lot of us just need to grow up. I say that of myself as well. There's so many areas of my life I still just need to get my head out of the sand and grow up. I need to change my worldview. I need to stop feeling sorry for myself. I need to stop thinking it's all about me and my style and what I want and, and, and how I think it should be. It's how he wants it to be. You know the father wants his house to be full and not filled with more Christians. He wants this house to be filled with, oh, it's our mandate. Again, we don't do Frosty Fest to get suburban people and middle class and upper class, but we're trying to reach the city. The, the whole Freedom Center is about reaching the poor and the disenfranchised and, and the broken and the hurting in, in practical ways. Because the truth is that's, that's who Jesus really cares about. The broken, the hurting. And again, some of them have money, some of them don't. And I'll tell you, the truth is going to bring an incredible liberty if we perpetually visit the kingdom and the kingdom principles and how he wants to change our hearts. The truth will set us free. How else can we build hope and trust? Our thinking or our theology of suffering. You need to understand scripturally, I hope I've shared this slide here before, but suffering is seen 150 times in scripture. Prosperity, also a big scriptural message, 84 times. I think that's very typical of my life. I feel like I get punched in the face twice for every single time that something really good happens. And on the good days, it's a punch in the face and not somewhere else. 
like, like the throat I was referring to, or the stomach, of course. There's something about uh, that biblical ratio that just really rings true with me. There's a lot, and here's the thing, is God does want you to prosper. I'm not against the prosperity gospel because it's 100% true, but also 100% true is a theology of suffering. Listen to me. If you're prepared for it now, remember the, remember the story of the wise and the foolish builders, two guys that build houses. One built his house on the rock. One built his house on the sand. But something we overlook is when the rains came, when the storm came. Like, make no mistake, it's about readying yourself for the storm. As again, as a guy who is 20 years involved in youth ministry, doing you know, local youth ministry and then district youth ministry. A lot of you, we have relationship because of my days in youth ministry. And if I failed at one thing, it was getting young people ready for the storm, particularly the poop storm, the storm of suffering and difficulty. Like we, we encourage kids, we disciple them in the world. Listen, part of the discipleship process, suffering's going to come and there's going to be quite a bit of it. Like if you're, again, a smooth sea, never a skillful sailor made. God wants you to be established and rooted. He wants you to be strong in the mind, strong in the soul, and steadfast, unshakable, unmovable. How does he do that? He takes you through storms so that you can genuinely overflow, not just this nice, oh, bless you. Here's a little bit of money. Oh, here, I hope I can make you smile. Here's a joke. Here's a little encouragement. No, I'm talking this deeply rooted foundational truth. Listen, I've been through hell and back. Ha, what you're going through is rough. I promise you, God's gonna take you there too. There's this authority with which we speak because we've been down a dark road of suffering. We've experienced the dark Night of the soul, as St. John of the Cross talked about. And we are ready to function in strength. We're ready to overflow with joy and peace because it's not a fake little superficial deal. There's a depth of the inner man, a depth of spirit that's ready to take authority over darkness and sickness and disease and anything God would throw at us. And I'm just saying, yeah, God, I want to be that guy. I don't want to be the baby crying, saying, oh, what about me? It didn't happen the way I wanted. I want to be the one to step in and say, I don't care if I get spit on. I don't care if I get crapped on. I'm still living for Jesus. I'm still sharing life and hope. And I'm going to overflow out of a deep confidence of joy and peace and determination of heart because I've been through it. And again, I know the end of this story every time I'm going to win. I'm united with Christ. He's in me. His joy, his peace. Man, this sense of overflowing hope and trust abounds out of my spirit. And nothing in all creation, not height, not depth, not length or width, nothing from the past, nothing from the present, nothing from the future, nothing in all creation is going to separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Again, this verse I mentioned earlier, woe to the world because of offenses, because offenses must come. Again, this is the prophecy of Christ and really reveals how much he loves you. Seriously, he loves you so much, he trusts you so much 
that he knows he can stick you in the pencil sharpener, give you a little grind, and you're going to come out stronger, sharper, and not broken. My God, that is love. That is trust. If I can convey something to you this morning, if you're going through seasons of brokenness, did I see Hannah here this morning? No. I was declaring this Friday night over Hannah. Man, these seasons of brokenness that we go through, he's sharpening us. He trusts us that much with process that he's going to make us sharp. And then lastly, uh, not just our thinking, not just uh, a theology of suffering, but thirdly, talk. Look, look how honest David gets with God when he says, Unto you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. I trust in you. Don't let me put my shame or let my enemies triumph over me. No one, in ho no one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame. I love David's honesty. I love how he talks to God here. I want to encourage you. Don't play games with your prayers. Don't be all pretty with your prayers. We need to be brutally honest as we talk to God. And I love this. David says, unto you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. I open up my heart to you, God. Again, as we're going through difficulties, as we're going through trials, don't just pray things like, oh God, I suck. Help me to be better. Like, be honest with God. Like, really release your emotion. When he, David says he lifts up his soul to God, he fully opens up his heart and he expresses. There's other Psalms where he says, Lord, my enemies, would you mind just grinding their teeth inside their mouths? Lord, would you mind just putting them to death? Lord, may they inherit the sword. Like David just opens up, he lifts up his soul and he gets honest with God. Listen, stop playing church games and praying the prayer you're supposed to pray that you think you're supposed to pray and being a nice pretty boy Christian or pretty, pretty girl Christian. My God, just open your heart up to him and say, Lord, I feel this sucks. Lord, I feel this isn't fair. Just expose to him your woundedness of heart, your frustration, your grief, and let him heal you. And then ask him, Lord, help me not to be put to shame because no one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame. And because he's at my right hand, I'll never be shaken. See, God is building something in you. And as I mentioned 13 minutes ago, I will be done in 15 minutes. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Like just now, as I finally declare it this time, I feel this verse for the house is really starting to land as you got a good understanding of joy on Friday night, a good understanding of peace last night. And, and then this morning, as we talk about our hope, that he's going to make us strong, stable, and steadfast, strong in mind, stable of heart and soul, and steadfast, unshakable, immovable. Now we can overflow with hope. When you know who you are, more importantly, when you know whose you are, you can stand steadfast and overflow with hope. Amen? Yeah. Does that make sense? Wow, I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm really encouraged. And to think that I shared all that in 15 minutes. Yeah.
Three and a half times. That's powerful. Why don't you stand your feet all across this room? Wow. In just a minute, I'm going to invite Pastor Brian to just come and dismiss you and anything else that needs to be shared. I would just like to offer a, pro a, a, a prophetic proclamation, which is a combination of declaration and proclamation. It's like a hybrid declaration, proclamation, proclamation. Wow, thank you, Jesus. I don't even have to say this one loud because it's so, so true like Jesus standing in the boat, sitting in the boat, whatever, and speaking to the wind and the waves. I just speak this over you this morning, that you will overflow with hope. Because hope doesn't disappoint us. You will overflow with hope because you are filled with the God of hope, with joy and peace, and with overflowing hope as you trust in him. And because the Lord's at your right hand, you'll never be shaken. I prophesy to sickness and disease. I prophesy to lack, to meanness, to unemployment, to dissension. None of those things are going to be able to shake you because you are established on a strong rock. That's right. And yeah, the Lord's at your side, but more importantly, he is in you. Right. And because he's in you, there's nothing in all creation that can separate you from his love. Nothing in all creation that can slow you down or hinder you. Because God is mighty to save. Yeah. And he's not just saving you. It's overflowing out of you. Here it is. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, we're going to go here tonight. This is that's the whole reason we're doing tonight. It's a demonstration. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Why just talk about it tonight? Why bring teaching on it tonight? When we can demonstrate what God is going to do. By the power of his Holy Spirit. So I declare over you. By the power of the Spirit, you will be abounding in overflowing hope, overflowing joy and peace to radically transform your context. I bless you with a 15-year blessing. I bless you with 14 years that I've been involved in it, sowing into this place, loving this place, esteeming this place. I bless you with... 14 of those combined right now in one word. If you were not here 15 years ago, I still declare you fully blessed all 15 years. That everything I've already decreed and declared and spoken would be on your head now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, that you're not just combining it all and releasing it, but you are exponentially increasing the blessing on your people these days. I give you thanks, Father. And I declare on behalf of this people, as one man, I declare, we love you, God. Yes.
You are wonderful. Come on, just take a minute and lift up your hands. Just give them some praise and worship right now all across this room. Offer them some thanks and tell them just how neat he is, how cool he is, how sharp, how wonderful, how spectacularly kind he is as we bless him for a minute. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You're so good. You're so kind. You're so wonderful. In Jesus' name.